Did you get, did you get to do the devotional? Oh, oh there's some grimaces. Any, anybody? Nobody did it this... Oh, yes. There's one, two, three, four. Okay. Slow confession. Okay, this is a chaotic morning. Okay, we'll have to have repentance and mourning. Okay, well, we'll just have to read that passage separately when we get to it. Okay. Uh, when we talk about spiritual warfare, this is your great challenge, standing firm. Remember we have such a... Uh, a Paul, Peter is writing to uh, victims who have become victors and are still in a hostile world. That We have such a tremendous, great salvation. We have a high calling. We have this uh, wonderful defense in what God has given to us. We have uh, a great comfort in what Christ has accomplished. But now the great challenge is to stand firm. So let's look at this... Uh, the passage. It's really the uh, summary of the book. 12 through 14. Through Sylvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you, all who are in Christ. Now, when we come to the end of this book, I want to look also at, uh, well, might as well read it now. Let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. Because really, I believe these go together. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm." Stand firm, therefore, having gird about your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you are able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. With all prayer and petition, praying at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Those last two verses, of course, we heard last night, Bill Warren reminding us of those in charge to the presbytery in the commission of Tony Curdo. When we come to spiritual warfare, this is a hot topic today in Bible-believing uh, evangelical churches. It's uh, a topic that's become uh, very important because today we have lots of people who are saying that the way that you fight spiritual war warfare is this. And I think we have two opposites in even supposedly Bible-believing churches. 
you have kind of a, uh, what you might want to call a, a naturalistic, mechanistic approach. Uh, everything is usual. You plug in the formula, everything will work. And then someone like Frank Peretti comes along and writes, you know, some books, and we look at them, and eh, they're okay in terms of, you know, literary pieces. They're not the greatest, but they are fun reading. In fact, they're such fun reading. Uh, they're the only two books I ever stayed up and read straight through the night and didn't go to sleep. Both of them. Didn't plan to do it either time. Lousy theology, great books. Okay? And so all of a sudden, we're aware of spiritual warfare. And uh, what we've got is Karate Kid 5. You know, people are coming up with uh, Wimber and others with manuals on spiritual warfare in which we claim territory over the demons and we cast them out, etc., etc. Now, it is interesting to me that you have two people, Peter and Paul, who both have the ability to cast out demons by the power of the hand of God, and neither of them command us to do that. There's not a breath of deliverance ministry mentality in the book of 1 Peter and in Ephesians 6, which ought to begin to tell you something about those gifts. Those gifts are specialized gifts. So uh, what, what do we need to say? Well, let me, let me uh, come back to the Ephesians passage and let's really tie up this, uh, uh, the housekeeping we need to do at the end of the book of 1 Peter. Okay, first of all, I think we need to take the thing seriously. If, if anything, you go away from this week and you remember. Remember that being persecuted is the name of the game. It's part of the turf of being a Christian. You can't escape it. And therefore, you have to be prepared and I think you need to take it seriously. And I think one of the biggest problems, and he says, I've written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true uh, grace of God. Stand firm in it. Okay? You've got to take this whole issue of spiritual warfare seriously. And again, I won't keep beating a dead horse. We've talked about it all week. Do you really take your three great enemies seriously? Do you really take the world, the flesh, and the devil seriously. See, you pro and again, I think you need to take all three seriously. See, because if you ignore your own flesh, your own sin, and you ignore worldly people, all you have left is demons. And you come up with deliverance ministry. Everything is demonic. It's the demon of this, the demon of that, and the demon of the other thing. And so what you do is you have an exorcism ministry where demons are cast out and those squeaky little buggers, they keep coming back again and again. And then you've got to do it again and again and again. You see, because normally a deliverance ministry goes along with an Arminian, uh, at best, theology, if not worse. And so it's all up to human beings. But now it's, even, it's degenerated below Arminianism, which emphasizes the human will, which isn't free, it's in bondage, but the fact is we do have wills, but this deliverance ministry circumvents even the will. Because what do I need to do? I need to sit there and I need to get zapped. Okay? I need to be slain in the spirit. And I am being sarcastic. Okay? Now, the fact of the matter is very interesting. And I won't go into long theological excursus, but it, it's true. The Bible does talk about us as victims. I mean, think about it. I mean, there is a, there is a balancing. We are victims in the sense of we are victims... Of, uh, of 
I don't want to say victims, but you know, we are caught in being in Adam. We didn't ask to be born. I, I know I didn't. I didn't ask to be Italian. I think that's a privilege too, but uh, uh, I didn't ask to be a man. I didn't ask to be short, big nose, and bald head. Well, I don't have a big nose. It's a small head. The nose, the nose is, is appropriate size. The head is small. Okay? Uh, I didn't ask for a lot of those things. Okay? But God holds me accountable for what I do with them. And I think that's significant. It really is. Because you can look at us as a victim of our own sin. Because the scripture says you cannot escape your own lusts except through the cross of Christ. You can't escape the world or the devil apart from Christ. And yet, God sends people to hell who are bound in their trespasses and sins. So I think we can balance it out, but we have to say people are responsible to flee to Christ. They're not a car that get tinkered on. We go to Christ for cleansing. So you need to take this whole thing seriously. Take the exhortation. Uh, you know, take these testimonials. Uh, stand fast. What, what I, I would really say to you, beloved, is every day you need grace. Amen? And as someone said, yesterday's grace isn't sufficient for today. Okay? It's like the manna in the wilderness, right? Now, if God wants you to rest on, the, on, on one day, He'll give you a double portion. But, you know, you can't store up grace from 25 years ago. You know, you may have been the, the most godly person in your congregation 25 years ago, but you can't live off of that grace today. Okay? You, you, you have to have daily grace. So feast on grace. Okay? So take it seriously. Secondly, stand firm. Stand firm. Please, beloved, I mean, I know this is like Karen Cole's to Newcastle, but I need to say it. Stay near the cross, please. Please stay near the cross. You ever see little kids playing games? I mean, it, it's amazing. We took the fourth and... Uh, it was the fifth and sixth graders went out to Catalina from the Christian school to do kind of a nature thing with a, with a group from Newport. And, and they played capture the flag or something. And it's really amazing that the strategy for all the kids is, you know, you get down and you start counting to 20. And they're all like three feet from you, you know. And when you go, here I come, then they dive, you know, for the base. See, nobody wants to go far from base because, you see... They want to get in and be saved. The further you wander from the cross, the more you're going to look like, smell like, and act like a pagan. You understand that? The, the, the more you stray from the cross, and, and you cannot, beloved, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You've got to pull yourself up by the cross. Okay? It's not self-effort. Let's not become functioning deists as far as our sanctification. You know what a deist was? Uh, God made the universe and put the natural laws in it and kind of wound it up and it's on its own and then he went off on a vacation and the world just sort of runs. Let's not think of our sanctification and fighting the spiritual battle like that. You know, Jesus Christ kind of you know, wound us up like little wind-up toys. You know what I mean? And everything we have is there and we run down maybe once a year and come to family camp or whatever. You need daily grace. You need to stay near the cross. Satan will try to draw you away. He will try to draw you away. And there's all kinds of classic passages in James and elsewhere and how he does it. But, you know, uh, let me, uh, again, that's another whole, uh, you know, family camp, spiritual warfare and tactics. Don't be dumb. 
Learn Satan's tactics. And I, I wish I had the time to go around and ask each one of you individually. Do you know your hot spots? Do you know where you are really vulnerable to Satan? And he can almost ring up the change every day, anytime he wants to, in certain areas with you. Well, let's be smart. He is going to attack you in those areas and you need to be prepared. And you need to learn to defeat him in that regards. Okay? So take this seriously. Stand firm. Then you need to you know, take comfort in others. Isn't that the, the blessing, in a sense, of family camp? You get to talk to other people. And it's positive and negative, right? You go, ha, ah, I thought I had problems. Man, you're worse off than me. You know, my, one of my good friends, Jay Adams, keeps reminding me, Skip, you just can't rejoice in other people's problems. And that's why I go, oh man, they're, they're as bad off as me. He says, no, 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 you've got to understand that you're supposed to have solutions, not just the fact that they're as bad off as you. you know, but there is some comfort in knowing that your congregation or your family isn't the only one that's taking shots, right? You know, you think you're the only person in the world. And the whole theme of the book, he says, look, don't remember, this stuff is being accomplished in all your brotherhood across the world. So everywhere you go, in any culture, whether it's a tribal culture or the most sophisticated, supposed modern culture in any kind of European or North American city or Asian city now, you're going to go, gee, certain things don't change. You know, immorality is immorality. Now you can dial porn, right? You know, it's just the point is sinners can be lazy now. They don't have to work real hard in America. We've got all the video hardware and everything else, okay? But, you know, you go out in some tribal culture, you don't need video. Everybody's running around naked, okay? So, I mean, you know, whatever way you cut it, you're going to face immorality. Pride? You know, it doesn't have to be, is this not great Babylon that I have built? Well, you can go out in the tribal culture and there's a guy, he's right, the major domo. Hmm, I'm the boss. Why? Because I got 20 pigs. What have you got? One little squeaky piglet, you know? Who are you? You're not much. Pride. Same tactics, okay? Same tactics. And you'll find that in those cultures, Christians learn to fight the same way. Now that brings us back now. Flip back to Ephesians. And just take a quick run through that. And then I'm done. And we'll go to Q&A. And uh, this will be the cleanest camp that we've ever had because we'll spend all the time cleaning. Remember, this is not works righteousness. You, you are not earning your way to camp next year. This is all grace. Okay, Ephesians chapter 6. Now again, Bill Warren reminded us that Paul asks for prayer. And now, now, interesting, and you've probably heard series on this, and you know I ramble on, but I'm no Puritan. You know, I can't write, you know, 350 pages on the armor. You know, as uh, was it Gurnall that did that? I'm just you, you know, you can do that, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, some, some uh, major points. First of all, look at God's weapons. How do you defeat Satan? In the name of Jesus! <laughs> no, is that how you defeat him? I'm flexible. I work in all kinds of circles. No, okay. 
okay, uh, is that how you defeat Jesus? Okay, I can just see, I can just see an F-16 pilot, you know, getting on a, you know, and the other guy just presses his missile launcher, and you know, you are no more. You know, you mean you can yell and scream all you want now. It is true in more primitive warfare, it doesn't hurt you when you get up and you yell at the other guy. You know, because uh, as we were reminded by uh, Ben Wagner at his graduation, he's going into the Marines. There was a patent supposed to quote, uh, it says, you, you, uh, you become a war hero by making the other guy die for his country, not you dying for yours. Okay, and so uh, we'd like to make Satan a martyr for his cause. Okay, now... How do you do that? You take up the full armor, okay, because the, the battle is not where you can actually get it. See, and, I, and I've learned that with my own temper. You know, there's times when I've been so upset with myself for my anger or sin or whatever, I, I said, Lord, I wish I could run through the wall. You know, I just wish I could run through the wall and bang it out of me. But guess what? The problem is, if I come through the wall, it'll still be me. And whatever was me will come through the wall and I'll still have the same sinful problem. You know, so pounding my head and running through walls and you know, flagellating, nothing's going to work except what God gives us. Okay? So first of all, you have to be clean. Okay? If you're all full of rottenness and sin, you're not going to want to fight the enemy. So there's personal holiness. But then how do you face the enemy? And, and it's interesting, these are Old Testament quotes that really are of the Messiah. So Christ really gives us truth. And He really gives us His righteousness. And He gives us peace. And He gives us the helmet of salvation. He gives us the, uh, the uh, shield of faith. And He gives us the sword of the Spirit. That's the way you fight the enemy. You know, the Christian life is difficult, but in some ways it's not that complex. It's, summar it's summarized in 1 Timothy. How do you know what to do in any given situation? Everything is dedicated to God by what? The Word and dedicatory prayer. So what do we do? We fight the way God tells us to and we fight, in a sense, on our knees. Each piece is put on with prayer. And so if you want to defeat Satan, if you want to be able to be kind when people are nasty to you, if you want to be able to suffer the way the Lord wants us to and come out and, and look like the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to be a man or woman of prayer and you have to concentrate on reality as it's described in the Scripture. I've seen people. You know, I've counseled enough people. Uh, I am a sinner. I live with sinners. And I've seen when you do not live in the reality that God gives you, you're defeated already. Right? If you will not call it what God calls it, you'll call it something else. I've had Reformed pastors say things like, I know that what I'm doing is wrong, leaving my wife and running off with someone else, but God will forgive me and we'll have a wonderful life of serving the Lord together. Okay? People will begin to alter. They'll change. They'll really call it something different. Now, again, this is going to get you into the area that is big in my life is the whole area of Christian counseling. And it's, it's very difficult because there are physical things that really affect people. But if the Bible calls something sin, then it is sin. 
And if you call it sickness or propensity or anything else, you take the edge off it. Let me give you an example. I got really angry reviews quite a few years ago when I was sitting on a panel of supposed health professionals at a Lutheran church. There were psychiatrists, psychologists, moi, and a few others. Okay, and providentially I got to go last. And they were all talking about two things. It was split down the middle of the hour and a half or two hour program was alcohol abuse and uh, sexual and physical abuse in families. And everybody was talking, and you've heard it, about dysfunctional families. Okay, dysfunctional families. And when they got to me, I said, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, I'm sure these families don't function real well, but we used to call this sin. And you could almost feel the shock waves coming. Magic Mountain had nothing compared to the <laughs> shock waves that came through that panel rippling all the way down. And I kind of felt this kind of cold stare on my right side. You know, as the combined staring of this panel and shock disbelief. Why? Because dysfunctional tells me something about my car. If I go out here and I turn on the ignition and it goes that would be a good imitation of a bar now, but it is not a good imitation of a car. I want the car to go and we go down the hill and go back to San Diego. Now, that is a good description. Now, if a family is not doing what God wants it to, it's not functioning properly, so that's somewhat accurate. But you see, it takes away the edge of sin. Also, you see, it will change the solution. Um, I might pray over my car. If I go to fix it, I have to pray. <laughs> For several reasons. One, because I don't know that much about cars. And I usually break stuff and then fix it right the second or third time. And there's a saying in the Scipione family, Dad's going to try to fix something. Let's pray. <laughs> for that and the thing he's trying to fix. Okay, okay. so I might pray over the car, right? But more appropriately, I would get someone that knows about cars to fix the car. Now, if I have a sinner, you know what I need? I need Jesus. Because only Jesus can bring him to conviction. And only Jesus can change him and keep him changed. See, and that costs Jesus his blood on the cross and a very difficult life for 30-some years, obeying God perfectly and taking an awful lot, uh, everything actually, that he didn't deserve. So, you see, terms are important. Jesus gives me truth. He gives me righteousness. If I think that I'm so much of a, you know, a spiritual Jack Horner, and a lot of us are like that, right? We stick in our thumb and pull out a plum and we go, what a good boy am I. Uh, you know, don't I deserve a blessing? <laughs> a half blessing? Maybe a quarter. Come on. I mean, okay. But something, right? I did something. Right. I read and prayed today. Right? And I didn't yell at my husband. I went and kicked the dog. I mean, you know, better than kicking my husband. You know, we, we really know the righteousness that comes from Christ. You face Him in any other righteousness and, and, and Satan will knife right through you. 
Okay, if you don't have the peace that passes understanding that comes, you know, Philippians 4, put on the, you know, have you ever noticed it's awfully hard to fight somebody if you're jumping up in the air because your feet hurt? That was one of the tactics in, in hand-to-hand combat in ancient warfare. If you got them, you know, hopping on their foot, they couldn't swing a sword real well. You know, it was just a, you know, shoe in to knock them down. Faith, you know, you can go right through. God's weapons and God's presence. God's presence and God's weapons. In effect, we really need the greater David. We need Jesus Christ, who is the stone, who stands there and goes, you've come and defied my Father and me, and you're dead meat, because I'm the Savior. We need Him to fight for us. And that's the key to spiritual battle. Not some formulized out in the name of Jesus. What's your name, demon? Name yourself. Now I bind you and tell you to go to the pit and never come back again. See, spiritual warfare. And beloved, if you don't learn that, next year you won't be at camp. Now there's legitimate reasons for not being at camp. But you won't have the peace. Well, let's just end up and go back with uh, Peter and then we can open up for questions. That last verse in Peter, it's kind of very beautiful. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Now, we've got to be very careful with that. <clears throat> but let me, let me give you one of my bones to pick. Ever since I've been in the OPC, you know, um, I've never known how to act. You know, because it is a Northern European culture and, and Southern Europeans do a lot of hugging. Okay, and uh, you see guys and gals. And it's not because they're gay walking arm in arm, you know, in Italy. And uh, I'm not sure that culturally you can force these things, but there's got to be an equivalent to the kiss of love. There's got to be something that we can say to one another in OPC circles that won't be looking on as sloppy agape, and won't be looked upon as you know, you know, Arminian arming ourselves or something. You know, greet one another with a kiss of love. Okay. There really needs to be the strong affection. You know, God's love will flow through you to others. Okay? Peace be to you all who are in Christ. There's the source. Okay? The source is in Christ. Well, let me end with this. How serious are you in your spiritual warfare? Okay? Uh, again, I'm not a betting person, but I bet you dollars to donuts. If we were in, in war-torn Lebanon, we'd be praying a lot more. Christians, if we were in a tribal culture where uh, to name the name of Christ really meant you know, being cut off completely from family and from culture, I think we'd be praying a lot more and we'd have this sense. But how serious are you? The battle lines are formed and we'll only win as we stand there in the name of Jesus Christ. And make sure when you go out to fight, He's next to you. There is the terrible feeling. I don't know if you've ever had that. You know, you, you go somewhere and the troops aren't around you. I'll tell you a silly little story and end with this. When I was in camp where I met my wife many years ago, this was before uh, we were going. I was a real young teen. I guess it was uh, late high school, first year of college at the most. And I was working on the ground crew at Hilltop Ranch. And... Uh, one of the kids was from a farm in Virginia, and I was a city slicker. 
and they had a, a what was a growing herd at that time of black Angus cattle and uh, became award-winning, was a very, very good herd. And they had a, a little bull, it was called Chicken George, that was the nickname. Now, if you know anything about black Angus, they're a polled breed, they don't have horns. But, you know, they can still give you a good smack, okay? So, uh, Chicken George had gotten out of where he was supposed to be, and we'd gotten back in the field, and some of the heifers, which at that time shouldn't have been with them, you know, had gotten under a fence, and... So we had to go into the field where Chicken George was and these heifers and run the heifers back under the fence, fix the fence and everything. And this kid from Virginia said, now look, whatever you do, don't run. See, that's why we name him Chicken George because Chicken George, he, 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 he bluffs you a lot, but he never is for real. Okay, I don't know anything. Okay. So here we are, all these young, young dudes, you know, everyone skinny like me, but thinking they're buff. You know, we, we're in the field, you know, and chase the heifers in, you know. And then I look up the hill, and there's Chicken George, and he's coming toward us. Well, so what? He's faking, right? George is faking. George knows it, right? <clears throat> and uh, all of a sudden, I see guys running past me. And I'm going, hey, guys, wait a minute. We're not, calm down. We're sp- hey, he's faking. And then I turned around and looked for the guy from Virginia, who was the guy who instructed me. And he was going under the fence. Okay. And I turned around and it was George and me. And I want to tell you, I don't know how close it was, but it was close when I got under the fence. Okay. Which only proves, don't believe farmers from Virginia. <laughs> okay. I think he was a vegetable farmer. I think that's what the problem was. It was beets that he thought were chasing him, okay? But that's the feeling, okay? You know, when you turn around, you know, and, you know, you, you want to make sure that the Lord of hosts is with you. You don't want to stand up and challenge Satan one-on-one. You know, it's amazing in this day and age where some of these deliverance ministries come from. Remember, you know... Uh, Moses, the archangel wouldn't even revile over the body of Moses. Remember what we're told in Jude? He wouldn't even curse Satan. You know, so if one of the mightiest people in the universe wouldn't curse Satan, but in the name of the Lord, you better be careful before you go out kind of cocky, you know, like uh, some Bill Cosby, you know, trying to challenge somebody to just attack you so you can practice your karate. Make sure that the Lord of hosts has given you the armor, and that He's with you. Well, let's pray, and then we'll open up for questions. Father, uh, we need to stand firm. We need to take this whole spiritual warfare seriously because Satan will come after us, and he will give us no quarter. He will not <clears throat> ever feel sorry for us. He will never have a, a, a good day where he, he would say, well, I've been so hard on them, I will lighten up. Lord, he's a murderer and a liar from the beginning, and he will not be satisfied till he sees our blood spilt on the ground. And if he cannot wreck our souls, Lord, he will still continue to uh, ask for us to be uh, thrashed like wheat. Lord God, please continue to pray for us, Jesus, as you did for Peter, or we will not make it. Help us, Lord, to stand firm, to take this seriously, and begin to learn what spiritual warfare is all about.
But Lord God, we'll never come to the point where we're glad that we're in a battle, but we can rejoice because our Savior, the Lord of hosts, our greater son than David, has won a great victory. Uh, Father, help us to take this and to run with it. Help us to come back next year and be able to not glory in our sufferings, but to glory in our, in our Savior. We pray this in His name. Amen. Okay, now, um, we still have, let's see if we can wrap up all the questions by the break time. We've got about 20 minutes or so, right? Uh, okay. Uh, questions on suffering, how to handle persecution, etc. One or two people did ask me some questions ahead of time. Um, and uh, I want to be real cautious about answering particular uh, questions. I want to make sure I have enough details because I don't want to give you kind of a half uh, answer to a, to a half of a question and uh, give the wrong impression. Questions about how to handle pressure, particularly from, from people per persecuting you or uh, nasty instances. Okay. Someone in the back, okay? Here we go. We'll get this... Um, since the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful, how do we know when we're being paranoid or when we're trying to protect ourselves? How, how do we distinguish when we're, um, you know, being very selfish? Many times we don't even know it. Okay, uh, that's a, a, a more personal question of uh, how do you know your own heart? Part of that is, again, um, a lot of work in terms of getting to know yourself and then through husbands, wives, other people in the congregation beginning to observe you and being open to their tentative... You know, we, we need to be really gentle with each other and say, I don't know your heart, but, you know, I typically observe. You know, when your left eyelid droops, you know, and your tongue starts hanging out, you know, nine times out of ten, you know, when I get to talk with you, this is what you're thinking. And that's, that's not biblical. You know, we've determined that as we've talked. So the prayer, you know, uh, you know, create in me a clean heart, O oh Lord, and, and Lord, help me to discern, you know, uh, is, is the beginning. Secondly, remember the Word of God is the only thing that we can use to get to the thoughts and intents that we can't get to. All the ways of a man are right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the motives of the heart. So how can you know your own heart? Again, only as Scripture begins to shed the light there and Scripture through other people, you know, they get to know you. And sometimes I think what you have to do is simply say, Lord, as best as I know myself, I think my motives are pure. They may not. Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians to the Corinthians? I think I mentioned that, the freedom. Uh, I don't even judge myself. Now, I have a clear conscience, but that doesn't acquit me. The Lord is my judge, so you don't judge me ahead of time. So we do our best. It's like Philippians 3. We press on toward the mark. We do the best we can and we say, Lord, if I'm off on this, you know, if my motives are really wrong, then expose it so I can confess it. You know, but you don't live, I think, in, in a kind of a, a fearful way of... Um, I think we have to be balanced as Calvinists. We know that nothing that we do is absolutely pure. But on the other hand, I don't think we become so paralyzed to say, I can never please God in any way, shape or form. I'm so full of sin that my breathing is offensive to God and therefore I won't breathe. 
Okay, that's not freedom in Christ. There's, there's the, that delicate balance. Now, I don't know if that's helpful, but like Jay said with the regular principle, that's you know, parameters to work within. But oftentimes, other people can, can help us. You know, like I say with my wife, I think I'm being patient, but it's really clear that I'm not being as patient as I think I am. Other questions in terms of uh, persecution or difficulty? Didn't, didn't you say something last yeah. night besides Wilson giving me a... I was wondering, you were talking in First Peter about being persecuted and how that's a, a blessing. But then how do you uh, align that with the qualifications of an elder in uh, Timothy 3 where it says that an elder is to have a good reputation with outsiders? Well, okay, I guess the best example would be the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ had impeccable character and really did have a very good reputation with the common people, but he was always in trouble with the religious leaders. And so, in a sense, if you made an absolute case, you know, he wouldn't have a good reputation. So I think in, in making those difficult discernments, you have to really examine the source and the character of the people that are making the accusations. For example, if you have a bad reputation with some guy or gal that gossips all the time and trashes everybody in the neighborhood, does that disqualify a person from fulfilling having a good reputation with those outside? Again, there's always the balancing statement in Scripture. You know, um, does, some, does some child that dies in youth, does that necessarily mean that God's angry? have to be careful because, you know, long life typically is God's blessing. But if a person's cut off in their youth, doesn't necessarily mean they've got some secret sins that, you know, that they're, they're hiding. For example, the little baby that was born to Bathsheba and David. You know, baby didn't deserve to die any more than children deserve to be aborted in the womb. But in God's dealings with David and Bathsheba, that was part of the penalty for their open rebellion against God instead of taking the life of the child. So you wouldn't say that child was a particularly worse sinner you know, than other children that were born. So it's the balancing. You know, we always have to take the analogy of Scripture, Scripture with Scripture. So by and large, a person has to have a good reputation. I mean, I, mean, I know of guys, I can tell you that, who have real bad reputations with everybody in terms of their business dealings. It's just, I mean, they, they cut corners. And they're elders in Reformed churches. The Christian community laughs at it, let alone the, the world. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about. Then you have one other one about, uh, you said last night about, uh, oh, the judgment of Christians. Yeah, I just thought it'd be nice for you to fill in uh, a little bit more on what Christians will go through as the judgment on judgment day. Yeah, I haven't really uh, studied that sufficiently to give what I would consider a complete on that. But what I had said earlier in the week was I believe the, the two passages in, in the book of Peter, especially the last one about you know judgment begins with the household of faith. If it's difficult for the righteous to be saved, what are the, un, the unrighteous? Uh, I think that goes along with the idea of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I think that there are rewards for Christians. Um, some people don't believe that, but I do believe the Scripture indicates in 1 Corinthians 3 that you can be saved. You know, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, some of you are weak, sick, and some 
dead because you don't discern the body. But God, if you would judge yourself, God wouldn't judge you, but He judges you so He will not condemn you along with the world. And I take that to be that Christians will be judged on their faithfulness or lack of faithfulness to the Lord in terms of being servants. Otherwise, what do you do with the some 30, some 60, some 100 fold? Some of us are more godly and more productive. In every house there are vessels. You know, so there are, there are those that are false professors, but there are those who are really genuinely born again, but they're just not very productive. And, and again, I don't know that they're going to walk around heaven, you know, hang their head for eternity, but you know, there, there is the fact that you know, God rewards His children for their faithfulness. Now again, that faithfulness is all predicated on grace. It all comes from the work of the Holy Spirit in them anyway, so we can't you know, jump up and take credit in the sense of saying, I'm better than you. But there is that faithfulness, and I take the judgment to be that. And there are other passages that confuse Roman Catholics and others take it and say we're judged by our works. But, you know, God will look at our lives and, you know, you can't come in living a, a raunchy, wicked life before God and expect, you know, to be accepted on the basis of that life. So, I, I don't know if that's helpful, but that's, you know, that's what I think, uh, I think the Scripture teaches. We ought to encourage people to be faithful out of, again, the motivation is grace not pride in terms of wanting to exalt himself over others. Okay, anybody else have other questions? In the back. Uh, during the course of a work day, sometimes uh, non-Christians will try to uh, attack a Christian perspective or whatnot. And I find sometimes it's pretty easy to expose them or basically lay them out if I want to, does there come a time where I should just stop, back off, and allow them to make their accusations and say nothing? Or is the gospel so offensive that it's appropriate for me to go ahead and just lay them out? Hmm. Um, okay. I'm not sure that laying them out is always appropriate. Um, exposing their sin to bring glory to God and for their good. Again, um, and I'm not saying I have all wisdom, but you know, sometimes I would need more detail because let me give you an example. If you're in a work context where someone's taking the Lord's name in vain or doing something else, I think it requires us to stand up for the Lord's glory. But let's say you've done it 20 days in a row, okay, and you're going to get in a fight. You know, maybe all you need to just do is look the guy and go, ditto. You know. You know, you just look at them and just shake your head and say, I'm not going to provoke you anymore. I know where you're at. Uh, my por purpose isn't to provoke you. My point is to warn you in terms of where we're at. But we both know. i give you one incident. I had a guy once. This was back when I was getting food for uh, French Creek. And I'm not a very brave person. I've already told And uh, I w took a truck over and got some surplus cheese and stuff, you know, for the youth camp. Uh, for the OP youth camp. I don't know how we got in the program. We got it for some reason because we're a non-profit. But uh, as I was saying to him, you know, I said, by the way, do you, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? You seem to use his name very freely. 
And uh, by that time, I was loading it, and he was on the loading dock, which was up, and I was down in the bed of the truck. And he leaned down, and he got right in my face, and he balled up his fist, and he says, you say one more thing, and I'm going to let you have it. <laughs> now, it was, for me, it was uncanny. I, mean, I had no fear or whatever, uh, and it wasn't like that. But at that point, I determined, you know, I, assessing the situation, I figured anything else I would say w- would be provoking. I had, I had taken the stand, you know, and I, and I could have said, well, you'll end up in hell and that's your business. But, you know, I would have had a fight at that point. And I thought the point had been made sufficiently. And as I drove away, he was turning livid. He was, this other guy was like, <laughs> so the point had gotten across to him. So in, in a situation like that, I'm not sure the Lord would require me to press it all to the point to either A, he got down on his knees and accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, or, or B, said, I'm wrong. And I've had other situations where I've confronted people. Of course, it was less hostile, you know, where a guy did that once. And I said, look, you've been very helpful to me and given me good advice. Let me give you a piece of advice. One day you're going to stand before this person that you've just used his name. And uh, I don't think he'll be very happy with it. And I think you ought to give the guy all, all thanks. So people react differently and you go different ways. So in the context of where those people are, okay, um, I'm not sure that it would take... Sometimes in a certain context, it's better for them to say, well, what's your opinion? Well, you you know what my opinion is going to be. It's going to be a biblical one. You still want to hear it if you've got that working relationship with people. So there's individual wisdom, you know, in terms of how to sow the seed that can't be given just in a... You know, always this situation requires that, this one requires that. So it's like with your children. At times, you know, you need to flex because the point is made. Some people are different. Some children, all you need to do is look at them. And, you know, oh boy, you know, they, they, they start kind of tearing up on it. They get the point. You know, other kids are like me. They're like the mule from Missouri. You know, I have to get their attention first before you can even... You know, begin to make the point. So there's individual differences on that in terms of... But the one thing that you want to do is to stand for the truth as opposed to your opinion versus theirs. Because once it's a personal deal, forget it. I mean, that's all they're going to do is just go one-on-one with you. And they'll just say, I'm just as good as... That's the typical American response. I'm just as good as you. My opinion is just as good as yours. Once you get into that level, you're not going to get very far, you know, with the person. Now, often a cup of cold water in, in, in the Lord's name is really, uh, you know, really significant. Okay, I don't want to draw this out. You know, there are no other questions. We're going to cut it off here, and then once the kids show is done after the break, then, then we can go start cleaning up cabins, Okay. Oh, one other thing. Let me give a commercial plug here, if I may. Um, in case anybody would like to, let me... Some of you do and some of you don't know. The Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation's purpose is to try to get counseling back into the church because we believe it's basically discipleship. Non-organic problems are to be dealt with spiritually, biblically, not, in quote, psychologically. So, I mean, that's make a long story short. Jay Adams and others started the foundation. I came out here in 82 for the foundation to start a branch. And then about seven years ago, 
Philadelphia said they couldn't administrate us, and we became a specialized ministry of Bayview Orthodox Presbyterian Church. <clears throat> so when you see CCEF West, think, you know, Bayview, specialized ministry. And I've got some resource catalogs, which has a few of the printed materials that we have, videotapes and audio tapes of conferences, etc. Uh, Andy Peterson and uh, Rich Gans and others that are well-known, some not as well-known in Reform circles. Uh, these will be up here in case you want to look at them and to, to realize. They're, uh, the video stuff especially would be good for Sunday school courses. And this is stuff that's geared for lay people as well as pastors in our training. We do have a training program because our goal again is to get the counseling back under the elders in the local church. I saw a hand in the back that's not waving at the flies. Yeah, Bob Needham, yeah. Chaplain uh, Commander Needham has uh, tapes uh, in here. So I'll just leave these up here for you to look at because I think they are valuable, you know, for you. There's some stuff on ADD and hyperactivity and things as practical as that. You know, and I know that even though your kids don't struggle with that, I've noticed a lot of you at Presbytery do. So uh, <clears throat> you, you might want to just check it out here in the catalogs, okay? Okay, uh, yes? Well, right, wait, this is, let me, let me, this is going on. This is getting longer than I can repeat. This is just a, um, another additional commercial to those tapes. Some of the topics that we're going to have to face in our churches um, and with our uh, evangelical friends is repressed memory as opposed to false memory. There's a, a tape on that. And multiple personality disorders. We're going to hear about it a lot. We need to think of it biblically, and there's a tape on that subject. Now, let me let me do this as uh, anonymous as I can, which will be interesting. Uh, but i just tell you how God uses these conferences just to kind of whet your appetite. We had a, a gal uh, at the very last conference just a month, a month ago, and uh, she was raised in the OPC and left the OPC, went through some very difficult times, and as a result of the conference, she goes, you know, even though I wasn't a Christian at the time, now I remember some of that stuff. I think I'm coming back to my roots. And I wouldn't be surprised if within the next year or so she leaves her generally evangelical church and comes back to an OP church because she's heard solid teaching that she said she hasn't been able to get anywhere. And this is a gal who's in a graduate program in psychology and uh, you know is uh, struggling through some personal things as well as things that she's been taught. So just to let you know that... Uh, you know, God does use the conference, you know, in strange ways in terms of that. Uh, the last person who made that comment was probably would not mention that she also has some tapes on, on the, in the series there. Okay, we, we don't have women teach men, but we do have them run workshop on women's issues, uh, you know, abortion issues and um, working with other women uh, who have been abused, etc. So we have some of those things, and I think they're timely tapes. Okay, let's pray before we go. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you that a long time ago, you used Peter 
and you changed Peter and you used him to write the book on suffering. Lord, that gives us tremendous hope because uh, you are not finished with us yet. You are in the process of making us more and more like Christ. Lord, I look at my brothers here, many of whom I really respect and love, and I smile because uh, they've told me and I know what they used to be and now they're ministers of the Gospel. Lord, you are still in the business of taking people who are continuing embarrassment to themselves and at times others and cleaning them up and using them. In fact, Lord, that's really the truth. Because, Lord, technically, we all are ministers of the Gospel because you've all called us. We're not all called to ordained office, but, Lord, surely every one of us is a prophet, priest, and king uh, before you. And, Lord, we need to take that Protestant Reformation truth, which is biblical, and really run with it. And people will become excited, uh, not because we've gone into a nunnery, not because we've taken special vows, but just because we're willing to live out our lives in humble uh, suffering and battling for your glory and for the good of others. Bless us now, Lord God, from the uh, eldest uh, to the youngest. Lord, we think of um, our older brothers who are here who have been faithful ministers for many years. Lord, they've gone through many difficult things. Bless them. We think of our little children, Lord, some who are so young they can hardly uh, understand anything except that they're hungry and they're tired and, and that the bugs bite them. But Lord, they have parents that love Jesus Christ and are training them in the ways of the covenant. Please bless us, Lord God, not for our sake, but for Your glory. And do, Lord God, bring us back, uh, Lord, to worship, uh, to camps, uh, to youth activities, to presbytery, Lord, with stories of Your great triumph through us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.